I'm Mark Caro, and welcome to episode 68 of Caro Pop. Our guest this week is actor-improviser David Pasquese, and this conversation was recorded live on the stage of the Wonderful Club Space in Evanston, Illinois. We even took some questions at the end, and the last one is asked by actor Michael Shannon, who is in the audience. Wait till you hear what he asked. You'll enjoy that and much more in this live Carol Pop conversation with David Pasquese. Hey, everyone. It's so great to see you here in person to be doing a Carol Pop live event. Uh, I have a podcast that runs every Thursday. Uh, I've been doing it. This episode 66 goes up tomorrow. Maybe I'll let you guess who the guest is going to be later. Um, And it's Robin Hitchcock. And uh, so I've been doing these, but the podcast grew out of something that happened on this stage, which was that I had started a live interview series. Because one of the things I loved when I was at the Tribune, my name's Mark Caro. Hi. I wrote for the Tribune for a long time. And uh, I always get told, you got to introduce yourself. I'm like, oh, okay. Um, I used to, so I, one of the things I love doing is interviewing people and talking with people and talking with people about being creative and creative process. And it's something that I missed after I left the paper. I did, but I did some live events. And so I started a series here called uh, Talking in Space. And I interviewed uh, Chris Jones, the Tribune's theater critic and now editorial page editor, who is here. I talked to Nora Dunn, the wonderful uh, actor and uh, Saturday Night Live cast member, who's also here. And um, I talked to John Langford, and I talked to Len Casper, who debuted his new band on this stage as part of the interview. And then I was going to, in the spring of 2020, talk to David Pasquese. I know. And then what happened? Everything shut down. Everything shut down, and we did not have uh, another Talking in Space event until this one, which is the Carol Pop slash Talking in Space event with David Pasquese. So, so he, and he actually is here tonight, so this is good. Um, I wrote a little introduction because, you know, because none of you know who it is. Um, I first saw David Pasquese on stage at Second City, I think it was in 1989. He was a few reviews, he was in a few reviews back then, including The Gods Must Be Lazy, and it was 30 years ago today. On the latter, his castmates were Chris Farley, Tim Meadows, Judith Scott, Joe Liss, Joel Murray, and Holly Wartell. And I think Bob Odenkirk was in the cast with him after that. So he was working with talented people, um, yet he's the one, David Pasquese, who for me at least popped. You just couldn't keep his eye, your eyes off him. There was just something about him. What was he going to say? What sinister thing was going on behind those eyes? He clearly knew more than he was letting on. He was smart, razor sharp, maybe dangerous. Charisma is a vague, overused word, but David Pasquese had it. In 1991, I saw him on stage again as arrested activist Abby Hoffman in the Remains Theater production of The Chicago Conspiracy Trial. Having seen him at Second City, I felt some ownership over him. That's my guy. And he rocked the role, capturing what an intelligent, outsized figure Abby Hoffman was. Sasha Baron Cohen was fine, and Aaron Sorkin's much more fictionalized The Trial of the Chicago Seven, but he was no David Pasquese. (laughs) 
That spark of recognition continued every time I saw David, whether in movies such as Harold Ramis's Groundhog Day, The Ice Harvest, and Year One. Groundhog Day should get some applause. Groundhog Day, come on. Or with cell phone in hand and Yasmin Reza's God of Carnage at the Goodman Theater. He continued his improv work as well, notably in the TJ and Dave show with another Second City alumnus, TJ Jagodowski. That show debuted in Chicago in 2002, had an off-Broadway run in 2006, and has continued here and there and other places since then. The TJ and Dave show also is the subject of a documentary that you can go home and stream when you get back tonight. Alex Karpovsky's Trust Us, This Is All Made Up. That's from 2009. When David appeared on Veep as Andrew Meyer, uh, the title character's scheming ex-husband, a wickedly funny show grew even more wickedly funny. (laughs) Mom, you're doing your fake laugh again. What? Come on. This is nice. I can't tell if it's fake. You could never tell if it was fake. Yes, I could. Uh-huh. What are you, some sort of expert? In certain areas. What is going on right now? This is flirting. This is, uh, yeah. Your mother is an excellent flirt. He also played Meat Man Stew on the series Strangers with Candy, on which he worked with fellow Second City alumni Amy Sedaris, Stephen Colbert, Paul Dinello, and Mitch Rouse. And he played the recurrent character of Knife Man Tony on At Home with Amy Sedaris. The episode in which he carves a Thanksgiving turkey could have used a parental warning. Oh, my goodness. That doesn't seem culinary. What kind of knife are you using, Tony? The kind with the serial numbers filed off. I like to call her daddy's girl. One of his standout roles came on the AMC series Lodge 49, in which he played Blaze, an alchemist and pharmacist. On one hand, it's a miracle that such an idiosyncratic show could get made. On the other, it's a travesty that it was not renewed after two seasons on AMC. Because it was special. And uh, David was special in it, tapping into a sweetness, earnestness, and searching quality often not seen in his roles. I don't do a lot of uh, public speaking. Um, But I think I'm supposed to picture you all naked. (laughs) Now he's stealing scenes as a Star Wars character, the unnamed Major Domo on the Disney Plus series The Book of Boba Fett. He's once again hilariously untrustworthy, even with his additional head of tentacles and lack of eyebrows. You can't keep your eyes off him. Unfortunately, Mayor Mokshai's schedule is a bit complicated. Unfortunately, as I recall. If you wish to continue breathing, I advise you to weigh your next words carefully. Actually, I may be able to rearrange some of the appointments that aren't as time sensitive as yours. Uh, So if you'll excuse me, I'll see what I'm able to do. He played another of his happy scoundrels, Mr. Immortality, on a recent episode of She-Hulk, Attorney at Law. That is a weird show. Um, I am always happy to see David Pasquese, and I'm especially happy to see him here tonight. Please welcome to the stage, David Pasquese. Hey, how are you? Uh, that's really uncomfortable to listen to. <laughs> I should have done a longer version. So, is, is there something about you that makes casting directors think, you know, shiftiness? 
Yeah, untrustworthy. That comes through. I know, but why is that? Like, where does that come from? Uh, I'm untrustworthy. I've been, I mean, I've been lying my whole life. But d- does that make you different from other actors? I mean, why are you I don't particularly... think so. I, I, I don't know why. Well, also, uh, I don't... Uh, cast, casting directors don't know me. Uh, um, yeah, uh, I, I don't know why. I remember getting hired one time here in Chicago for a play by Mike Nussbaum, and he said I, I, he hired me because of uh, the way I listened so I, I, I guess that's something I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, I wasn't trying to typecast you as just untrustworthy, but there's, there, there, you're you're very funny as a shifty guy. But you know, yeah, I mean, Abby Hoffman. No, yeah, he was shifty. He was, he was shifty. Yeah, he was uh, he was trustworthy yeah. but shifty. I don't know about that. I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know that you can classify him as trustworthy either. Yeah, yeah, he was a he was a mischievous scoundrel. At at best. A lot of scoundrels. A lot of scoundrels in your work. Yes. When you started off, you know, dreaming of acting, did you think, you know, I, I got this niche that I'm going to do. It's going to be the same. No, oh, yeah, it's no. It's not just that you're a scoundrel. It's that you're a well-adjusted scoundrel. Yeah, no. I, yeah, very comfortable with being a shithead. Yeah, no, I, uh, I, I don't think I ever, I didn't, I didn't do that. I didn't dream of being, I didn't dream of any of it. Uh, I, I just was stumbling along. And then I got a job, you know, and then in that kind of character, and then I got the next job in the similar, because of what I auditioned for. I mean, it's just total happenstance. When you started at Second City, though, were those the kind of characters you were doing as well, or is that just sort of more what happened when you started being filmed or taped? Yeah, I suppose it is. Yeah, uh, I suppose it was, yes, I suppose it was un, unpleasant people. Uh, is uh, Those are the that's me. Uh, and so that was most, that was easiest for me to do is, is unpleasant people. <laughs> they're, they're pleasant to watch, though. They're, oh, they're yeah. fun to watch. I so. think so. Th- they must be horrible to live with. So, so Del Close, you learned a lot from him. I did. I did indeed. I was, uh, so I ended up in his classes at the same time that he was developing, uh, a long-form improvisation, group improvisation called the Herald for Performance. And it was kind of the first time that they were doing that, a long group piece as the night's entertainment, as opposed to improvisation being used to develop material that will later be scripted. So we, I just happened to be there when he was doing that, and I, just, I was very fortunate to be a part of that. And yeah, and from then on, like, I'm still trying to do the same things that we were doing back then, which is, in improvisation anyway, to just be, respond honestly in this moment, and that's the extent of the job. Don't plan anything, don't write any story, just... So were you taking those classes before you ended up in the Second City Main Stage cast? Yes, that was, uh, right. I started out at the Players Workshop of the Second City, uh, with uh, Joe Forsberg school, and she was a student of Viola Spolin, and I was there with my brother uh, over there. Yeah, uh, I, I, uh, my mom made me go. Uh, I was probably twenty, and my mom made me go. Uh, yeah, cause uh, cause I was up to no good, 
And, uh, and so I accompanied him and we went to uh, these classes and my first teacher was Judy Morgan and I really liked improvisation. Never been on stage before that. I uh, didn't grow up with any of those. Never been on stage before and I just really liked improvisation from then. And then I stopped and you know was in college at the time and then finished school and then, uh, and then and I ended up falling in with Dell and that was, that's how I started there. And then, yeah. Now, were you someone who also tried writing? Because improvisation is sort of a form of writing without writing, in a way, because you're creating. Yep. Um, and then uh, at Second City, you do more. You impro- Well, when I was there, it was all improvisation, and then you kind of scripted it. But I was working on other stuff with writing, and then I ended up doing more writing only because <laughs> I like working and I wasn't getting hired. So uh, I just will do our own stuff, and that's exactly that's the only reason I did it, just out of necessity. Yeah, it's interesting because people talk about Second City as being improv, but it's this hybrid because it's improv, but you're using that to write in that you're creating sketches that are going to become a show that's going to become this set show, as opposed to say what you're doing with TJ and Dave, where you are intentionally going up there with no preparation. And really not having any mind of, oh, we're going to save the best bits of this and create a show out of it. Right. Um, right. Because we're never going to do it again uh, with TJ. But right. Second City is not really improvisation. And when I was coming up, everybody said they were in an improv group. They weren't. They were, you know, they weren't improvising. So they, it couldn't be an improv group. They were doing sketch, but we call it that. So, um, yeah, it's just a misnomer. Did you specifically like the improv part of it more than the sketch part of it? I like it both. I like it all, um, but for different reasons. The I really love improvisation because it's real. Uh, it's real fun. It's like a little adventure. Like I don't know what's going to happen. Let's go find out. And uh, I really enjoy that part of it. And I also like the the sketch part too, where you try. It's more like acting. You try to do this thing just right and never do. So you've been doing these long form shows with TJ. For like 20 years now, 21, I guess, if you started in 2002, um, do you, when you're done doing one of those shows, because it's different every time, do you write down the stuff that you think, oh, this could be like a show, or this could be like a movie, or would that kind of corrupt the whole process for you, because that's not the point of it, is to create results, the point of it is to be present at the time and then let go? Um, We don't write down notes, but it isn't out of... uh artistic purity it's we're really fucking lazy uh and it's and you know uh, someone has transcribed a couple of our shows and then cast them and perform so we do this two-person show and we often play a lot of different characters so by the end of the night there might be 10 characters in a little one-hour play kind of thing and somebody is as transcribed all the dialogue and then cast 10 people to play those parts and I and I remember seeing it you know I've only seen it it's only one one person did it um and I went and saw it It was kind of interesting it was weird to see that (laughs) but you haven't thought oh hey you know there's there's an HBO pilot out of this one we did on Wednesday night or something no what we do think of is wait we're waiting for the technology to uh catch up to us and th- so that we can just press play to one of our shows and then it will transcribe it and turn it into a script and then we can publish 1,000 plays in a month. It'd be like the Grateful Dead concert tapes, but there would be your version of mm-hmm. that. 
Mm-hmm. So they'd be like, oh, I'll trade you Wednesday. Well, we have those. We really do. There's a guy who used to shoot them all on, this, on a little camera or record them, just the audio. So there's hundreds of shows, uh, but we've never looked at them. So you could have people like trading August 5th for April 12th or something like that. <laughs> yeah, right. Miracle me, man. <laughs> So at Second City, just to go back to that, like, what was that experience like for you? Did you sort of, do you feel like you came out as a different person than when you went in? Or was it just, you know, a gig on this sort of long, continuous journey? Well, it was cool. It was real cool. And it was the only, for someone who had my kind of background and training up until that point, I've done some stand-up and some uh, improvisation and sketch. And so that's the only job that paid in Chicago. That's, I mean, that, that'd be great if I could get paid to do this. And, and uh, that was wonderful. And then you, you know, you, you don't have to, you know, uh, busk. You don't have to, you know, go out and shill and try to hand out flyer. Please come to my show. Because um, it was Second City and there was all, it was always pretty full. So that was wonderful. You get to play in front of houses. And I think I did probably a thousand shows there. And that's, I think makes that's the greatest benefit of it it's yes you're doing your own material and uh but getting on stage in front of a room full of strangers every night for a thousand shows is the probably the best teacher when you when you came out of second city what is it you thought was your next step that you wanted to do oh uh i guess you know go do tv stuff because I saw again, I saw you at Remains in Chicago Conspiracy Trial, and that was a meaty lead role. And I just sort of wasn't sure, you know, what what else was going on at that point. Because it's also a transition to go to a scripted, you know, theater show at that point as well. Yeah, I'd never done it. That was the very first play I ever did, um, and so I didn't have that experience. I didn't have that uh, background, so I didn't know that. I didn't know anything about theater. Um, and I ended up doing a couple shows, but that was never really, no, that wasn't, it didn't seem to be the next thing for me. Did you enjoy that experience? I loved it. And I like it every time. I have, I have a great time doing plays. I think it's, it's wonderful. It's so different than, uh, anything I'd done up until that point. <laughs> I, uh, so at Second City, it's your own material and you do it and you're doing it and there's it's your materials. You can do it however you want. And, um, and you wrote it. So, uh, if you want to change something, you just change it. And it's, uh, I remember that was the first play I did. And I, during previews, the stage manager hands me this after the show, hands me this stack of here's what's that. Um, this is where you said all these things wrong. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and I'm like, really? I, I thought I did pretty good. <laughs> And she said, yeah, pretty good doesn't count. You're n- learn your fucking lines, Pasquazy. That was, Is that a real quote? That was a real quote from Puff. Wow. So I take it it was an adjustment to say the same thing. Yeah, right. And then, but also to realize, oh, this, you know, at first it's like, oh, this is boring. And, and that's what I felt like. Oh, rehearsal is great, but once it's open, it's boring. I got to do the same thing over and over again. Um, but then I learned that, oh, no, there's, I'd never have done it right. And so that was, <laughs> that was really fun to try. And, and to, you know, maybe one guy gets it right, but somebody else doesn't get it. It's to try to get the whole thing just right once is the goal and it's I don't know that anybody's ever done it what was the first movie that you were in I mean, the first thing I remember seeing you in was Groundhog Day um, it, uh, the light of day 
was the first thing I was Michael in. Michael J. Fox and Joan Jett? Wow, look at you. Oh. Uh, yeah. Just around the corner, too, though. Well, uh, yeah, right. And yeah. Dell was in there. And yeah, so that was the very first thing I ever did. Um, but then uh, Father of the Bride, I think, was the next one. So what kind of a transition was that for <laughs> Father of the Bride? Yeah, whatever. It's here for Groundhog Day, though. Anyway, um, did you enjoy that process? I mean, there you're, you're, you're shooting the same thing over and over, not in front of a live audience. No, you don't do it that much. Uh, you yes. only do it. Yeah, right. It was, uh, was, was kind of nerve-wracking because there's like movie stars. And, uh, and I don't know what I'm doing. And they're going to find out. Um, but th- that particular one had uh, uh, Martin Short, who was really great. He was really nice and real nice to me. So it, was, it made it easy. And that's one of the things that I found from being from Chicago, that most of the jobs that I've ever been on, I know somebody fr- because someone's from Chicago. And we're different. And we're better. Uh, I mean, I don't... I don't, and not necessarily as, as performers, but I think that's true too. But as people, I think we're, we're just, just better humans. So it's really not, it's always nice to, and. Uh, yeah, I was going to ask you sort of how, how important it is to be where you are or fr- where, where you're from, at least. And, and also how important it is to sort of have known the people who you've worked with from year after year. Because there are a lot, it seems like there's a lot of kind of interweaving, you know, story threads where you, you worked with this person back here and then you re-encounter them over here. It's Dickensian. It, it's really, it's pretty great. Right, and then uh, it's pretty wonderful to work with different people in different capacities too, like, and also the, this way. Like, uh, oh, that guy used to work in the box office. Now he's king. Uh, <laughs> Well, John Favreau is, uh, you know, working with you on the book of Boba Fett, and he was at Second City when you were there as well, right? right. I mean, I mentioned all those cast members and then others who followed, um, who you've worked with. But like, what was his job when you were there? His job, he was host, but he was also then he was in the the touring company, and then I inter- and I remember working with his group and uh, trying to, you know, guide them a little bit, and that was, and then he left, and he went to California. Right. Yeah, I remember talking when he did Swingers, and it was kind of like his big return to Chicago to talk about it. And we talked about the whole Second City connection, but you know, little knowing that he would be, you know, the Star Wars. Uh, yeah, right. Not know, just creator, Star Wars, director. but Marvel too, yeah, right? Sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, how important has it been that you were from Chicago and and that you stayed mostly in Chicago? Right. Well, for me, it's just. Uh, integral that I'm from Chicago because all the things that I do are done here you know um, the things that I learned how to do and, and continue to do are skills that you learn here um, and most of the time I work with people that have something to do with Chicago because um, I'm a real uh, well-kept secret <laughs> yeah. not as much anymore only, yeah. uh, only we know I can skip right to the Star Wars convention questions, but uh, <laughs> he's, people listening at home, he's laughing. So, um, so the people that you you you've encountered, um, you know, worked with at Second City. Like, how much was Second City kind of where 
you've met the most people that sort of have the longest reach of anything? Yeah, absolutely. Second City's kind of the... Even you know, even before Second City, it was Dell, but Dell was part of. You know, I know Dell was Dell because of Second City. So it's definitely that's kind of the center for me. That was the most integral part of my little journey. You know, everybody I know has some connection with there. Like, absolutely. Then Chicago. You know, Chicago is a big part of. So you worked on Exit Fifty Seven. Were you a writer on that? I was a writer on Exit Fifty Seven. For those of you who don't know. Everyone. Uh, Exit 57 was a show on Comedy Central, the new Comedy Central, which was a merger of the Ha Network and the Comedy Channel. Uh, and so they had, it was a sketch show, and it was uh, Amy Sedaris and Mitch Rouse, Paul Donello, Stephen Colbert, and Jody Lennon. That was the five cast members, and I went out and wrote on it, and it was a blast. And were you in New York doing in that? In New York, yeah. And then Strangers with Candy followed that. Correct. And then, yeah, I, I wrote some on that, but then I was in, uh, on camera on that, too. As, as you said, Stu the Meat Man. So, so Amy Sedaris, she's sort of a thread for various things. She, you did that, and then you had At Home with Amy Sedaris. Did that kind of grow out of Strangers with Candy? Absolutely, because that was Paul Danello and her doing that. And, uh, yeah, there was, you know, Stu the Meat Man, Tony the Knife Man. It makes it really easy to do my homework. What a, who's this character? So, so where did you come up with that sort of thing? Was that something where you're talking with Amy and say, hey, I got this idea for this character, or are you actually improvising scenes? Like, how much of your sort of former training are you bringing to that? Um, the, getting the jobs themselves, hey, we got this thing, you want to do it? That's how that came about. Uh, what's it, what is it? Stew the Meat Man? Uh, okay, sure. Wait, so uh, the next one. What's Stu the next the one? Man? What's that? So did they ask you to be Stu the Meat Man? Yeah, or did you they s- go, yeah, and they were working on it with that in mind. Okay. And Tony the Knife Man, too. Uh, <laughs> Tony Pugnolata is the name, and in Italian that, that means stabbed. Well, there's a scene where I mentioned it where you're, where you're cutting this turkey for Thanksgiving and you're just talking about like, you know, the stabbiness, the stabby motions. And I've never seen a turkey cut as savagely oh, was ru- as, was that, brutal. Yeah. as in that scene. Yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> but that was not like an improvised sort of thing. Like this was something that was scripted. No, there was. Did you script with it or did you work there with it? There was some script or? with it. Yeah. It was tough to get through because we were both just cracking up. Uh, <laughs> Because they the chicken the turkeys sorry uh, were they looked nice but they were raw and uh, you can't cut a raw turkey I found you had to have a really sharp knife because you're cutting through that thing pretty well yeah yeah it was a really sharp knife I can't believe I I watched it I'm like oh man I can't believe I didn't lose a finger <laughs> I was whacking at that thing with this combat knife. So did you feel like you were sort of still using your improv skills in creating that character? Or is the writing, is that like a different Oh, no, process? it's just that was done. I mean, the, a little bit of improvisation with, within the script or like on the day, a little goofing around. But in large part, that's all done. They, they wrote it hilarious. Do you like the writing part of it? Like when you're doing Exit 57 and whatever? I else? do. I really like writing and I really like uh, improv. <laughs> So I like writing, I like acting, and I like improvising, and they're very separate. Um, I wish I could write like I 
improvise. Because when I improvise on stage in front of strangers, my brain works differently and I think better. Um, and I wish I could access that in, you know, in other areas, but I don't seem to be able to. I mean, this is a hackneyed phrase, but professionally, is your happy place when you're improvising as opposed to when you're doing something else? Or uh, My happy place? Uh, I like working. That's it. There we go. When do you feel most in your element? Like, this I guess is what I'm meant to be doing. <laughs> I can't say. Uh, jerking off? Uh, I think that's why I was, that's why I was put on this planet. <laughs> Hi, kids. Uh, and the funny thing is he wrote that all out ahead of time, just to say it then. It wasn't uh, even improvisation. Um, I really like improvising. I really like doing that. What is it about that? that... Like I said earlier, it's kind of a little adventure. Um, I don't know what's going to happen. It's a little, it's kind of, you know, I like being scared. I like uh, not knowing. I like not knowing. And at that, you know, I guess, (laughs) you know, that's what it's all about. (laughs) Uh, It's just, that's what life's about, right? Just being cool, not knowing. Cool with not knowing, right? We don't know. Just got to be cool with it. Uh, and, but I do believe that. Uh, I, it, and right, I, we don't know what's going to happen for that hour. We have no idea. Like every time we're done an hour later, like, I didn't see that one coming, right? I didn't know we are going to be in a cellar with a, you know, <laughs> uh, whatever. Uh, <laughs> Right, I, but it, I, it's always a surprise, and it's always it would could never have been if we had planned it. It would have been far worse, you know. Um, and so, and that teaches me to like, oh, not knowing is great. Not only is it okay, it's preferred. And well, at the same time, you're working with someone who now you've worked with for more than 20 years. You've had the same, you know, certainly similar training through Second City and Del Close. So, so there's like the surprise element, but there's also a familiarity element because you know that you trust him and you kind of have some sense of how he's going to play with you as opposed to if you got on stage with a different person every single night, that might be a totally different kind of experience, I would think. Yes, but we have been, we've kind of been like that since our Second show, not the first show. The first show was fucking terrible. But uh, TJ and I, second show, and from then on, we kind of have this. We, we don't. We didn't know each other. We were. We didn't come up together. We, we didn't. We weren't friends or anything like that. We just when we improvise, something uh, it goes well because we pay, we're able to pay attention to one another and we uh, we have a similar idea of what's possible i guess that's important but uh i think that's all it takes there those people are hard to find is all it's not that it's not that it's the same person but it's to find someone with those with a similar sensibility or a similar um uh beliefs that you know of what what might be and trust in it right like uh uh, I, i work with other people too um that are great and it's different but it's still all I, I guess what's required is I have to know that you're not going to sell me out because um, that's awful. Uh, that's an awful feeling. And it happens a lot, uh, especially with people in comedy. You know, they're trying to get a laugh and that's not helpful necessarily for what we're what we're doing. What's the worst you've been sold out on stage? I can't say his name. 
but I know exactly what it is. <laughs> Could you say what it was and just call him, you know, Joe or something like that? Yeah, Joe is an asshole. Uh, <laughs> now, I was just, you know, uh, it was, it, yeah, I, I remember the place and the, I remember the show and I remember the, everything about it. Uh, yeah. But, it's, but, the, but the idea... I have not worked with him again. The idea of it is that, that the violation that, that you remember and that sticks in your craw is that you were present in a scene in the reality of whatever you were doing and your scene partner violated that by sort of maybe getting a laugh at your expense or getting a laugh at the expense of the reality yeah, that you Yeah, fine, get one together. at my expense, but yeah, don't get a... Uh, yeah, don't, you know, sell out what we've... Again, okay, respond honestly in this moment, given everything we else, everything else we've established up until this point. And he's just like, you know, anyway. Anyway. I think there would be a lot of people who would think that the most important part of, or skill in being, you know, an improviser is being funny. Yeah. And really, it seems like it's listening, right? Well, that's essential, I think. But also, there's all kind. like we talked about earlier, everybody's in an improv group, but it's not really an improv group. Even within improvisation, there's so many different kinds of it. I'm just talking about the one kind that I do. This is long form, slow, you know, not funny, right? We're not, that's not part of our contract with the audience. A lot of people, it is. Like, we're going to be funny. Um, and so they have to do that. But we're just like, oh, the only thing we promise is we didn't rehearse. <laughs> and that's it. And, and they seem cool with it, you know? Well, you're funny because of your outlook and because of the characters you create. Hopefully. As opposed to jokes. And a lot of people think funny equals jokes, but jokes are totally not what you guys are doing. Right. And, right. and this is just our kind of improvisation, the, the kind that, I, that I'm interested in. Right. Sometimes the jokes... Hey, fucking... Why is one? <laughs> I'd, I'd be terrible at doing crowd work. <laughs> <laughs> Just took a long, slow drink of that water for those of you listening at home. Um, so, all right, Veep. Veep. Veep was a great show. Veep was, was really a great show, hands down. Fun That's show. Objective. And, and it included a lot of, you know, Chicago performers. Awful lot of Chicago folks. Uh, Almost all. Yeah, and a bunch of Brits writing it in the beginning. and, and uh, Entirely. It. Yeah, entirely. Uh, entirely. For the, there were seven seasons. First four seasons... Tell me if I'm wrong. Shot in Baltimore. Armando Iannucci created it. Um, and who'd also done this wonderfully uh, profane movie called In the Loop, uh, which has some of the best swearing I've ever heard. Peter Capaldi in there. Doctor Who, um, before he was Doctor Who. And then and then, then it goes to L.A. for three seasons with David Mandel. Is that how you pronounce Correct. it? Correct. And, uh, and then you have American writers. Um, well done. Thank you. So my question for you is, is I, but I think that a lot of people watching the show weren't aware of this sort of showrunner writer's room switch. How much did that change the show from where you were sitting? Not a ton. Uh, the, although the process of, of doing the show out, out in Baltimore was different. You know, you'd go out there and you'd read the script and then at a table read and then you'd get up and you'd start improvising. And then they'd say, now, you're in the, that party scene? Yeah, you're there now. And you're with them. And they weren't, that wasn't in the script. And then the, you'd just 
improvise a scene and the writers would take notes and um, other actors would toss you lines that they think would be good and it was really collaborative. And then the writers would go away and come back a week later and have a new script. Some of that stuff would be in there, some of it wouldn't be in there. And you know, it, there was never any notion of, you know, uh, that it had to be my lines, you have to say my lines, or anything about it was possessive. It was just everybody wanted to do the best show. So it really had a lot of improvisation baked into the creation of it. Yes. I mean, there was a script to begin with. And then there, they actually wanted input, which is unusual. Because most of the time, they want you to say their words. It's, yeah. So, so would you and Julie Louise Dreyfus then just sort of work together and improvise? And had you done that with her before? I never, no, I didn't know her before. Um, yeah, that was really, she was, that was really great. That was really fun. Oh, lovely, isn't that? I was, I'm like, is that rain inside? Wow, I didn't, it's, it's very... Uh, it's raining. Okay. For those of you at home. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So and it, also, we're, we're you're in the future. Listen to this. Record it on your phone, and you could play it while you're trying to go to sleep. So, Julie, so you, so you hadn't worked with her at all. Oh, he's falling asleep. Oh. No, hadn't. And... She had done sketch comedy. Had she done improvisation before? And how yeah, did that she was work a practical the theater company uh, here uh, in Evanston, Illinois. And then they went down. Yeah, yeah. And then they went down and they opened up the place that is the ETC Theater at Second City. They built that out as a theater. The practical theater company did. And then almost on the entire group got hired for SNL. Right. Um, and uh, where she was criminally underused. Uh, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, so she's absolutely familiar with, with sketch and, and improvisation. How is that, in terms of the process of creating scenes again for this show, was, was that, did that feel similar, like you're using similar muscles to what you had done before, or did that feel like something? Well, it was really fun because it's the same character, which is not something I'm used to, right, playing a character for... A uh, number, you know, going back to it a, a bunch of times f over the course of a, a number of years was really fun. <laughs> like, uh, and it was real easy to to play. Like, it's, it was really easy. To, the first of all, the writing's fantastic, and then all the people you're playing with are all up for it. It was really fun. It was really fun. So Andrew uh, is is in in that show is is another one of these very. He's he's a total scoundrel, but very pleasant about it, you know, and, and he's always trying to sort of pull, you know, pull some sort of scam, but he's in a very good mood when he's doing it. Is, was, was the character written as such before you got to it, or is that something that kind of came through that collaborative process? I think a little bit, uh, you know, it was written already, but the, as I was, I, 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 it was written that way. I'm not taking any fucking credit. <laughs> and when the show went to L.A. with the different, uh, you know, writers and showrunner, did the did the process stay exactly the same? Or Not exactly the same. No, they were. The, it was more. There were more writers, and it was more more specifically written. And there was a, there was room occasionally for improvisation. No, that's not entirely true. There it was there was improvisation as well, um, but uh, it, there was a little bit more. Uh, yeah, it, it was very similar, but a little bit. Yeah, it was very similar. I don't know what the fuck. I'm, I don't know. That's a terrible answer. I, 
I feel like I'm not going to start in with a critique of Veep. I feel like it changed, the flavor of it changed a little bit. You got a wonderful send-off, though, multiple send-offs, you might even say. On that show, that was that was yeah, that was a blast. Everybody getting. I don't. For those of you not familiar with it, at the end, everybody got really old, uh, and that was a hoot to have uh, see everybody in their old makeup. And it was like, oh man, this is exactly what's going to happen. <laughs> well, and Andrew had been killed, and yet you know, untrustworthy, you know, uh, as as a corpse as well. Um, <laughs> Lodge 49, how did that happen? And, and yeah, you could clap for Lodge 49. How many yeah. of you saw Lodge 49? Lodge 49 is, like I said before, it's like it's kind of a miracle that that show existed, but it's also a travesty that it doesn't still exist. Yeah, or you know, it still exists. It's on Hulu. Yeah. Um, no, but yeah, that it didn't go forward, I agree. Um, but that it, that, that it went two seasons is miraculous because it's not like anything else. Um, but I, that was wonderful. That was an audition. I happened to be in Los Angeles, and uh, I auditioned, and um, I ended up getting it. That's an anticlimactic tale. Uh, but that was really fun. That was a. I, I remember the audition scene. There was the where the the no. It was before that. It was. Uh, I, I I suggest that I have a uh, I have a worm, but all the doctors are wrong. Was that so, when you had your parasite that comes out of your nose? Yeah, so I I'm I'm convinced that the scene was I'm convinced that I have this parasite, but all the fucking Western doctors have no idea. Um, but I know they say no, but I know they're wrong because um, I've taken all the tests and they say no, but I know they're wrong. And then later on in the in the season, I really do have a parasite. <laughs> And I remember reading the script going, fuck yeah. <laughs> I was just thrilled that I was right. When you, when you read the script for the first time, did you think, oh, it would be nice to play someone who's this earnest and well-meaning? Um, you know, I don't look at those other things as those other characters and stuff as being shitheads. I kind you know... I just like, oh, this is how, it, it really isn't, it's like, oh, it seems like the way it's written, this is how this should be played. And if I'm reading the part of the antagonist, you know, the, the shithead, I'll play it that way. If I'm reading the, the part for the, the nicer guy, I'll read it the way I think it should be read. So it's for, it's for um, uh, I enjoyed it. It was really, it was really sweet. Um, and yeah, I don't, I, I, I can be sweet, Mark. <laughs> Did, yeah, I was going to say, setting aside whether the other ones were shitheads or not, is that a character that you connected to in a Absolutely, way that yeah. you got a lot out of? Yeah, so I, mean, like, I know it's like the kind of like what you ask, ask the actor, like, oh, it, it was he autobiographical? No. But, but just playing those qualities, I hadn't seen you in a role that is that, because, because it's on a series, so you get to go pretty deep into this character. Yeah, which I've, I've never done that. I mean, I've been, I've, that other show, the Veep you were mentioning, I was on that a lot, but I was, you know, kind of not, a, I was an ancillary character. On Lodge 49, I was there a lot, and, um, and so then there's a change that takes place, and that was really fun to play. I'd never done that. Um, and, it was, it, uh, yeah, there, there, uh, that's in there. Uh, fucking, you know, uh, 
dirty hippie. I'm, I'm that. Uh, and so I got to, <laughs> that's, not, that's not a stretch for me either. The guy, uh, yeah, he's, uh, uh, my guess is he's high constantly. Um, and so uh, I understand that. Was there, a, was there an improvisational quality to that as well, or was that just doing the script straight? That was pretty much, pretty, pretty much sticking straight to the script. Fortunately, the, script is, the scripts were fantastic. It was, they were written by this guy named Jim Gavin, and uh, they were just really great. So in, in these shows, I imagine, in general, when you give these performances, you have an idea of what it's going to look like. You know, when it, I, mean, I mean, obviously, it's always going to change, and... You know, you're going to see the, the, what the director did, which takes the director chose and all of that. But you have some idea of what your performance looks like. And then we go to the book of Boba Fett. And there's all of this sort of, you know, digital imagery and Star Wars stuff going on. To what extent when you're acting this stuff in that show, are you aware of what it's going to look like? And how much of it is when you finally see it, you're going, oh, that's what it looks like. Oh, um, most of the stuff that I did was actually there, and then they added to it, um, it um, except one time like, we're running around and like, be scared. Uh, all right. Uh, no, it's, it's bigger than that. Uh, <laughs> it's just, it's just, a, it's fucking, it's a blast. It's really fun just running around. And so one of the times was running around with an old Amy Sedaris, who I've known for a really long time, and the two of us are running around on the Star Wars back lot, fucking off. And there just happened to be a bunch of cameras around. But we just fuck. we were encouraged to do this. <laughs> and that was, that was the day, running around with her being as, just being idiots. It was really, it was just really fun. But yeah, and, and then, but so most of the stuff, I, what they added to it was wonderful, but the stuff that I was doing, I, I wasn't in a lot of uh, a lot of the huge effects stuff. Although, you know, that was, uh, except for Boba Fett, it would be accurate to s describe everything I've done in television and film as f conversations that were photographed. Um, <laughs> And then that thing was totally different. It was really, you know, movie making. And it was, that was fun just to watch that happen. And, and that Robert Rodriguez directed a bunch. And that I'm a big fan of his. Yeah. Well, so, and there's this continuum of you and Amy Sedaris doing stuff together. And you probably didn't think, oh, and at some point we'll do a Star Wars TV series. <laughs> did, you, did you guys, like, come as, like, a package deal? Like, hey, let's get Pasquese and Sedaris and we'll just sort of put well, them in this universe. She's always in, like, a... Uh, uh, Favreau uses her all the time and so that's how she was in there but I ended up just uh, yeah that was really fun and then we ended up being in the same stuff which was a, a surprise and a treat now did you audition for this or did John Favreau say hey I got something for you he, he that the the latter um, and I I mean I wouldn't have got it if I had auditioned <laughs> which which is true about everything uh, if I audition, I don't get it. Um, but, uh, yeah, I try to get, you know, sometimes somebody was asking me, well, how is it you end up on such cool things? I'm like, I try to get the shitty ones, too. <laughs> um, uh, I try real hard. Uh, um, no, but that one, he would, I hadn't heard from him in a really long time. I had, I, since, since he went to 
I ran into him once in LA. I mean, that was a long, many, many, many years. And uh, and then he contacted me and he said he sent me this stuff and said, "Does that sound like he? Does that sound like fun?" I go, "Absolutely." That the series opens the the first episode, and it's like I don't know, ten minutes of Boba Fett getting the crap kicked out of him without much dialogue, and the first moment things lighten up is when your character, the major domo who represents the mayor comes in and, and is, is talking to Boba Fett, who's the, he's the knight or it's got some title and they're expecting you to pay tribute, but you're sort of, you're, you're, you're giving him shit basically, but in this kind of funny way. And it's the first time there's a sort of spin on the ball and it has this, you know, humorous element and you're like, Oh, this show is going to be kind of funny. Was it, what, did it read like that on the page when you started or was this something where it was like, Oh, I'm going to, make this a little funnier than it was um no that's the way i again i saw i read it and uh it seemed like that's the guy um uh, you know uh officious and overly so and duplicitous and another shithead uh just with horns uh and no eyebrows which is harder yeah, how do, how do you grow back your eyebrows after every episode? <laughs> burn them off every day. They burn them. They just grow back really fast. All right, I'll ask you the obligatory. How long does the makeup take every day? They've got it down to about ninety minutes. Mm-hmm. And what are you doing during that ninety minutes? Uh, talking to the guy. Yeah, yeah. So that's fascinating. Yeah, I talk to the guy. There's a guy there, and so I talk to him. <laughs> <laughs> So when you're imp- when you're improv- improvising on stage, you don't have props, and so you're pretending that there's all this stuff there that's not there. Does that come in handy on Star Wars in particular, where there's like all this stuff that's not there, but it's going to be there later? Um, no, because like all the stuff that I actually have to deal with is is actually there. Um, but yeah, it was in- it was it was cool to see it on screen because so much does get added, but not. Like you and I, it's still the job itself is I'm talking to you, right? right? And that was real. But then all the stuff that gets added visually was uh, pretty fun to watch. You have a car chase, too. I have a car chase. I have a car chase. That car chase, uh, it lasts, I don't know how many minutes, but it was uh, about 200 feet of road that we just kept driving over. (laughs) That was it. The whole thing just over and over on this 200 feet of road, and they turned it and made it look like a whole city. It was pretty cool. Yeah, they digitally removed the, the, the wheel, so you're, you're sort of hovering. No, it and, actually hovers. Yeah. Oh, there you go. And you got, I, but, I, but I loved how it's like this car chase, but you're still like knocking over the Roger Ebert fruit cart and all of the sort of like the people walking with the art in the middle of the... Yep, so like a Red Skelton movie. Yep. <laughs> So were you, were you a Star Wars fan before this, going into it? I was a, the, I remember seeing the first Star Wars movie, which is the fourth Star Wars. What the fuck? Right. I, don't, I don't. Back when it was just They lost me Star at that. Wars, when they yeah. got to renumber them, I'm out. Uh, but uh, I remember seeing that first one, and it really was amazing. It was, you know, a, one, a, one of the coolest movies I ever saw. That and, and then, yeah, that was a cool one. I mean, obviously, in real life, you have eyebrows and don't have tentacles coming out of your head. But uh, he's, he's looking like, what are you talking about? Um, How's you, my do hair? You, do you get recognized from this show in a way that you weren't getting recognized from other work you've done? Nope. <laughs> it's because of the eyebrows and the tentacles. 
He's still laughing. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people watch Star Wars, turns out. But like if you so say like if you're like going into like a store now, people are like, oh, no, no one's. I don't think what's happening on season. Only two? people that uh, don't. That only people that know me already say, hey, I saw you on Star Wars, uh, and they don't say whether or not they liked it. <laughs> <laughs> they, uh, but like no, no strangers don't ever, ever say that. I mean, are there, are there Star Wars conventions coming up where they're going to be like, I'm yeah, going to go should... to my first one. Uh, yeah. I'm going to my first one in, uh, yeah. When beautiful. It? It's in the end of February in beautiful, <laughs> fuck, Pensacola, Florida. I think that's probably the best one. <laughs> So is this something you're looking forward to? Like, I'm will, looking will you, forward. Will you be in costume for it, walking around? <laughs> no, no, no. I would not look forward to it if I was. That thing's really uncomfortable, by the way. Uh, no, I'm. I'm looking forward to it. F- yeah, I think it'll be weird. So I'm. I'm looking forward to that. And then you were on She-Hulk. I was on She-Hulk. Yeah, Mr. Immortal. Yeah, that was a hoot. And yeah. Yeah, that, you ever, ever hear a smattering? It was a, it was a funny episode. Although you didn't actually have any scenes with She-Hulk, it was sort of this standalone. She's at a wedding, and you're you know getting divorced from eight women who you've and a guy screwed over and a guy yeah. mm-hmm. right who you screwed over. Yeah. How did, so how did that happen? Was it like all right now I'm in the Marvel Disney universe? No, it was so the woman who directed it uh, had directed at home with Amy Sedaris. Really? Yeah. Fucking Amy, man. Amy's the center of everything. So do you see going deeper into the Marvel Universe? Is Mr. You know, Immortality going to have his own spinoff? Because I felt like there was more to that character than we got to see in that one I'm, uh, Mark, I wish you would start a letter-writing campaign. Uh, so I'd n- I don't know anything about any of that. Would and you write a script? I, I, all right. I don't know anything about any of that, wor- that world or those people. I looked it up. Turns out that's a real guy. Uh, Mr. Immortal and uh, not a real guy I'm sorry uh, an actual character within that world and he's part he's the head of the Great Lakes Avengers and it's like they have almost you know really bad superpowers and they're this like C team and then they get a cease and desist letter from the real Avengers <laughs> don't use that name so great. I really like that. So that, that was who I was playing. So the, so the character, in case you haven't seen this episode, uh, is that he's, he serially marries these women, and then when they start fighting, instead of being, engaging in the conflict, he like jumps in front of traffic or off a building and kills himself, seemingly. But he's immortal, so then he comes back and marries someone else. And finally, all of these women uh, and a guy get together and sue him because he's a terrible spouse. Right. It's a class action divorce. Yes. There you go. And they're working out. It, it was, and, and, then, and then She-Hulk is at a wedding in this other part of the plot. So I, I just summed that up for you just so you would know, because, you know, just in case it comes up again. So there you go. What are, what are projects that you've worked on that you wish had happened or still want to happen? Um, 
I'm assuming that there are things you Yeah, there's developed. something I did. Yeah, there's something I shot with. We shot our own pilot for <laughs> Mitch Rouse and I. Uh, something called Merkin Penal. <laughs> and it's... Uh, What's it all that about? It's it's all <laughs> it's all takes place in a in a privatized prison, and it's a it's a comedy. It's as we say, it's um, it's like HBO's Oz, but even funnier. <laughs> uh, that's one. That's one. So what's what's the status of Merkin Penal? Merkin, no, not penile. Slip of the tongue, sorry. Penal, like yes. colony. Yes. Um, yeah, I understand. Not implant. <laughs> um, it might sell better with my title. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's, it's uns- unsold. Uh, I should say it's available. That's its status. So that's something you've like written out episodes. Did you we, shoot? You yeah, shot we shot pilot? the pilot in a prison in, in outside of L.A., a, a closed women's prison. It was a blast. And who do you play in it? Uh, an idiot. Uh, an idiot. An idiot prisoner. An untrustworthy idiot? An untrustworthy idiot prisoner. Yep. Got it. So we're going to um, open this up, by the way, for... You know, we have a microphone over there and a microphone over here. I'm pointing to either side of the stage, as you can see. Uh, if anyone would like to ask Mr. Pasquese a question... Please line up in either place. Two-part question, David. Two-part question. Oh, it's tricky. God of Carnage related. God of Carnage. Got it. Saw you in it, loved it. Dumb question of the night. Were you the lawyer in that? Uh, yeah. And is that Christoph Waltz in the movie? I'm just... I, I don't... I didn't... I don't know. Okay. Back to the play. Um, any influence... I know you're a, or you know improv guy, comes from within and all that. Any influence from father, brother, or other attorneys to play that role? Uh, yeah, my fa- I was playing all of my family members, <laughs> uh, but only their negative aspects. My family's, uh, my father and brother are both lawyers. That was that. Go ahead. Hey. Hey. Squeege. Hey. Hey, Barb. <laughs> oh, wow. I went to grade school with her. (laughs) So my question is this. I read somewhere that before you got into uh, comedy, you were thinking of becoming a priest. And I wondered if you could just talk to us about that. Yeah. um, St. Mary's School. Crusaders, man. Crusaders. That was our Crusaders, which I think is probably not a nice thing to say. I really really Uh, hope uh, they've changed the name (laughs) by uh, now. Yeah, I was talk. I was uh, considering being a priest uh, un- uh, until I found out their rule for sex, um, <laughs> which apparently they're pretty loose on, though. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I was interested in that, but yeah, I was. I, uh, I investigated that for a while, but it seemed a little bit too. It required too much discipline. Jen. Hi, everybody. Hi. Hi. Mark. Hi, David. Um, I'm curious. I've spent the last uh, several months uh, with the Murray family, uh, ghostwriting a book for Chef Andy Murray, and I heard some stories and some rumblings about some times. No priests were involved, but you were in Rome. Priests were involved. Okay. (laughs) With Joel Murray. Is it true that you um, basically had to perform on the street to earn some 
money for meals, or is that just a stretched-out, exaggerated tale? It's a touch exaggerated, but we did do it. We didn't, uh, I mean, we weren't starving, per se, uh, but yeah, we uh, we did. He'd sing opera, and I'd juggle, okay, which is so you did not, juggle. Not, yeah, we didn't make a lot of money, <laughs> I gotta tell you. Um, yeah, and that's true. Yeah, so Joel Murray, the one of the Murray brothers, and I were roommates. We ended up meeting over in Italy, uh, and uh, Joel and I were were roommates. And across the hall was Ike Riley. Um, yeah. Oh wow! Excellent. Great Chicago musician and just musician in general. Thank you for confirming. I Absolutely, yes. Okay. There is mo- that is mostly true. Were you juggling while he sang opera? Was that like your shtick? Yeah, that, I would juggle because I have no talent, uh, uh, and so I juggle, and he'd he'd uh, he'd he'd sing. He's got a good voice. Would he sing about your juggling? I no. He would sing, you know, opera. He would just sing uh, like I don't know what. I don't know what he was singing. You guys are just like, let's do an opera and juggle. We need to make, let's make some, let's try to make some money. That was it. Let's try to make some money. Awesome. Dog, how are you? Hey, Doug. Um, Mark had mentioned uh, SNL earlier, and so many people from Second City wound up going there. Was that ever part of your, your sort of goal, or did people try to push you toward that, or was that ever... Something you thought about. Of course it was, dog. Thank you for bringing that up. Yes, I was on stage with uh, Farley and Meadows, and they got hired. Uh, Yeah, no, it was uh, absolutely like Second City was the, you know, the paying job for someone like me in Chicago. Uh, SNL was the big job that for sure everybody wanted to be doing. Um, and then those guys got hired and then they were talking and I, I was in the, uh, supposed to go out and talk to audition for him, but I was in the show uh, Conspiracy Trial and that was the, they wouldn't let me out of it. And then they wanted to talk to me about be, you know writing and I, at that time I just didn't see myself as a writer and I really wanted to be a performer and I that was it. That was the end of that. I apologize for me. That's quite all right, dog. So, wait, so, so, if you weren't doing that show, you could have gone out there. Or? Yeah, the, the, I could have at least auditioned. Yeah, that wasn't very nice of them not to let you just go. Well, that's business, I guess. All right. I had a question. Uh, your book with TJ and Pam Victor, Improvisation at the Speed of Life. Thank you very much. This was unsolicited. We've never met before. It's not a plan. But I I just wondered, first off, that what a book. It was uh, a real gift to have something to show other people who only know improv from maybe whose line is it anyway. But is is there any thought to to do another one with TJ or Pam or or just by yourself? Um, No, we haven't talked about doing another book uh, because everything is in that particular book. Uh, uh, It's a great book. Thanks. Uh, Yeah, it's just about the way we look at improvisation. And uh, no, we're not talking about... We're maybe going to make it into an audio thing, but there's nothing... I got nothing else to say. Thank you. Thanks very much. So acting, improv, is this something that you feel like your skills change over the years? Do you feel like you're better at it now? Do you feel like you need to work harder at certain things or less harder at other things? Uh, as Improvisation? Yeah. Or acting or just anything or I, that you yeah. do. It, 
Yeah. So I recently did it. Yeah. Yeah. I think I, it takes, uh, as I said earlier, I'm still trying to do, in improvisation, I'm still trying to get better at the things that I started to do 40 years ago. I'm still trying to do those things. Uh, and like, there's some examples of people that I know that like fantastic performers and they continue to, uh, try to improve and I just think that's what it's all that's really I I find that admirable and that hopefully that's what's yeah I think that's what the job is try to improve because it's boring otherwise what is it you can do now that maybe you couldn't do 20 years ago I uh juggle <laughs> I can juggle yeah. what uh yeah I don't know I what can I do now that I couldn't do 20 years ago uh not care. <laughs> I've been, yeah. That I've, actually counts for a lot. Yeah, I, I'm able to, yeah, not uh, take a big old spoonful of fuck it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you told Time Out in an interview uh, when God of Carnage was opening. You said, personally, I'm trying to do the exact same things I was trying to do 25 years ago. When I get that right, I'll move on. Wow. That's sucked. Boy, I just. So that was 12 years ago. Still, move on to what? Uh, uh, the next realm. <laughs> All right. Uh, any other questions out there? I'm still just really curious about who threw you under the bus that one time. No, oh. I'm, I'm just kidding. Um, if if you weren't working in the artistic field, what job that you've had do you think you might have pursued? Cowboy. Nice. I worked on a sheep, sheep ranch farming. for a while. I, I worked on a sh big sheep ranch for a while, and that was amazing. Nice. I don't actually. I don't think I'm good enough to. I don't think I'm tough enough to do that. But uh, that was that was a fun job. Okay. This is kind of the only job I've really enjoyed. Mr. Shannon, I have a question. <laughs> <laughs> Yes? Where do you get off? <laughs> huh? I'm sorry? I'm sorry? You heard me. Yeah. Where do you get off? Yeah. I, huh? Okay, thanks. Uh, right. <laughs> Mic drop. You're not going to touch that one? No, man. <laughs> so what's next? What can we look forward to next? And then I'm going to let you go. Uh, I'm actually, there's a film I did in Italian in Italy. Um, and that's going to be at Berlin in a couple weeks. And hopefully it'll be available after that. What's it called? The Properties of Metals. In English. So you spoke Italian in it. I did. I did. I spoke Italian. I spoke Italian in it. Do you and, speak Italian? Eh. Uh, <laughs> and every night, I mean, I, you know, there's that imposter syndrome where like, oh, man, they're going to find out. Like, I had that, but it was real. Uh, like, it was well warranted. There was, they, it was off. It was really terrifying every day. 
So Amy Sedaris in that one too? No, no, if only. How'd you wind up in this Italian movie that's going to Berlin? I was over there, and, uh, and I ran into a guy. I, here's how it started. Some guy recognized me on the street from Lodge 49. How about hey, that? All right. In, so he's good in this not very big city in Italy, and, uh, and we became friends, and he, his friends were making this movie, and that was it. You enjoy it? It was wonderful. It was real, and it's, I saw it, and it's really a cool little movie. Um, Boba Fett season two coming up? Not that I know of. You know anything? Well, what I heard was David Pasquese. Thank you so much for being here. You're awesome. Thanks for being here. Thank you very much. That's all for episode 68 of Carol Pop. Thanks so much to David Pasquese for being such an open, quick-witted guest, willing to chat in front of our first live audience. You can see him as the major domo on the first and so far only season of The Book of Boba Fett on Disney+. And I highly recommend you check out his wonderful layered work on Lodge 49, now available on Hulu. And of course, go back to Veep on HBO. Pasquese and his improv partner, TJ Jagodowski, plan to resume live performances of their TJ and Dave show later this year. So look to tjnddave.com for announcements of upcoming dates. We'd like to send a big shout out to everyone at Space, a club I have loved since it opened its doors. Special thanks go to General Manager Davis Inman, who made this booking happen, and Dan Glomsky, the ace sound person who ran the board. We look forward to returning soon. Carol Pop is produced by Chris Swake, who was there to make sure everything was recorded expertly. He's out of sight. I'm Mark Carroll. Please follow Carol Pop on Twitter, at Carol Popcast. And you can follow me as well, at Mark Caro, at M-A-R-K-C-A-R-O. Also visit the Carol Pop website, carolpop.com, where you can find this podcast and enter your email address so you'll hear about upcoming episodes and more events like this. We promise not to spam you. Please share, subscribe, tell your friends, and tune in again next week for another Carol Pop conversation. Thanks. Thanks.